Kim Maslin is a passionate educator and author, currently living in Esperance, Western Australia. Her background is in information and communications technology, and she has taught learners aged 5 to 85-year-olds how to use digital technologies. She's worked as a specialist science and technologies teacher. Kim also runs her own digital technologies education business, providing digital marketing workshops and consultancy, plus graphic and web design services. In 2017, Kim launched a cyber safety book series titled The Tweeting Galah. These collection of short stories are designed to educate children on how to be safe and happy online with the use of augmented reality technology accompanying the vivid illustrations. Can't wait to talk to her about that. The series is currently being used by over 7,000 families and schools across Australia. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. Hi, Leone. Thanks for having me. Kim, um, there's a lot to unpack in that, and I've got lots and lots of questions about that, uh, about your background and what you're doing now. Tell us, first of all, how your background in teaching ICT led to the work that you're doing today. Yeah, so it. Even before that, it began with me working in ICT support at a high school in Perth. And through that role, it it evolved and I went on to get my teaching degree and to then work in um, the high school and, and then primary schools teaching technologies. And within that role, I also worked um, in digital learning, which meant not only was I teaching students, but I was also helping teachers. Um, as you know, at the time and still today, there's a big push for teachers to integrate technology in the classroom. Yeah. And, you know, understandably, that can be quite an overwhelming experience for teachers. So through that role, I was able to work um, in groups and one-on-one in classrooms with teachers to, to provide them with that support. And it really um, grew from there as I really noticed you know this constant trend among teachers of all ages and backgrounds um, the the stress anxiety um, and pressures that they feel when it comes to using technology um, and so through you know the wonderful blurb that you just um you just said I, i'm sort of trying to find these different ways of helping them now that i'm outside the classroom right so um, how is digital technology and families impacting your work um, at the time, given that we're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody's stuck at home? What are you noticing? What are the, the key things that you're, you're picking up at the moment? Yeah, well, just purely just the, the craziness of it all, Leonie, just to mm. start with. I mean, it's such unprecedented situation we're all facing. I think what I've really noticed, um, firstly, is just how quickly everyone's adapted you know, those initial few days or weeks of, you know, you know what, what's going on and, and what will we do? But I've found that families, teachers, uh, business owners, parents are adapting so quickly to the new circumstances and finding ways of making it work. Uh, mm. I find that really quite astounding. I mean, probably, you know, say four weeks ago, you know, half the country wouldn't have heard of Zoom. And now yeah. look at us, here we are. That's right. Along with 500 
million other people uses that's apparently right. according to what i saw today yeah, that's right. um one of the things i'm really interested in is how teachers are using the technology at the moment i follow um, a couple of threads on social media of teachers all swapping ideas about how to use the online world in distance learning what sort of things are you noticing there seems to be a real excitement around it but i'm sure there's some frustrations with it as well yeah, it's been really interesting. And one thing that's really struck me, I've been working one-on-one -on -one with a lot of teachers providing uh, Zoom sessions. So, you know, giving them a chance to practice using the technology before they have to do it with their students. Mm. And the, the common thread I'm finding from teachers in America and Australia, Philippines, you know, wherever, is um, that initial anxiety and that fear of the unknown. So this idea of presenting the way we are right now is, mm. is very new to them all. And there's a lot of um, just the natural technology anxiety that they're facing. But I completely agree. There's a lot of um, enthusiasm around it as well. And I'm so impressed with so, like, well, all the teachers I've been working with, just the fact that they're prepared to put themselves out there and give this a go. And, mm. you know, this is something that's so unfamiliar to so many of them. And particularly um, here in, like in WA and in the regions, we find that teachers don't get the sort of technology ICT professional development opportunities that they, um, you know, that the counterparts in the big cities might have. And yeah. that's been well documented for, you know, for decades. And so I think as well to now be put in this situation where we're faced with you know, we've got what, like four days, you know, and term two is going to start and it's all going to be online. It's really incredible how well teachers are um, upskilling themselves and practicing and preparing, given the lack of, you know, resources they might have had leading up to this. I think what uh, term one taught a lot of teachers was that it wasn't enough just to go onto a Zoom class. And then they had to change their ideas about what was working and what wasn't and the difficulties that came up. What are some of the difficulties that you've heard from teachers about teaching on online, just as opposed to teaching face to face where they can hand things out, they can get that feedback from, from children. Um, in a much better way and also just controlling the class. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a challenging job, you know, at the best of times, let alone now. Um, I think one of the biggest concerns teachers have had is the inequality of access to huh? devices amongst students. There's, and, and that's both the, the devices that the kids have at home, but then also their access to stable Wi-Fi. So again, particularly out in the regions, we have students who, you know, live on farms but drive into town for school. So yeah. their Wi-Fi connection is not as stable as in town and not everyone has equal access to even the same platform of device at home. So mm -hmm. for teachers, this becomes really challenging because they're having to cater to, you know, having the backup plan if, if their Wi-Fi drops out but then also particular programs and learning platforms that might work really well, for instance, on an iPad, aren't going to work as well on, you know, the sister's 10-year-old laptop or a Chromebook. So teachers are having to adapt to all of this as well and often not realising some of those issues until they get going. Yeah. And then encountering, encountering those technical glitches. 
So I think that's a really major one. I think the second one that really um, jumps can I, out. Can I just yeah. interject there? Do you see conversations with teachers and um, education departments about how to correct that? Is there any talk of um, equalising this and, and sending um, out to these families any kind of stable internet? Is there a possibility of doing that or, or giving loaner devices out or a program to equalise that? Have you heard any discussion around that at all? Yeah, I have heard some discussion around that. I think uh, more so over in the eastern states, there's a couple initiatives rolling out. Yeah. And I know a couple of the telecommunication companies are offering services as well to, to give out to help um, equal the playing field there, which is really great to, to hear. I know yeah. as well a number of schools at a school level are looking at how they can maybe make use of devices, you know, that would otherwise be loaned out on campus. They're looking at whether those devices could now be, you know, sent home on a temporary basis to their students that need them. Okay. Yeah. So I suppose to answer your question um, is, is yes, I am, but I'm not seeing like a universal approach to it. Um, I think that's probably what we really need, um, or at least it's, each state has to have one because this isn't going away. And even if it does in eight months or so settle down, there's always, I think, according to everything that I'm hearing, there's a fear that it's going to come round again, which means we need to keep prepared. And I hear exactly what you're saying about that, that inequality in it's the old digital divide, isn't it? And it's more apparent than ever that we need the bush to get good internet. We need good internet here. I'm, <laughs> I'm only on three megabits down at the moment. I just ran around the house and turned off absolutely everything <laughs> that's sucking the internet. Um, so that going into the future, um, there is um, more um, equity in access to that to that um, the education because I'm sure for some areas in Australia where there is a problem getting teaching teachers out there and schools, for instance, that are, are struggling to keep going, that if we can get this technology working and it is actually something that's acceptable, that that's going to be a huge bonus. That's right. And really this, this is just shining a spotlight on this digital divide, which we've known to exist in Australia for, for decades you know, schools in the regions, well, you know, not just, I shouldn't just say the regions, but, you know, there's an inequality across schools in terms of access to, to stable internet, access to, you know, good quality devices, you know, and an, an event like this remote learning is just really showcasing those issues. But the, the issues have been there for years in the lead up as well. And so hopefully, you know, if something can come from this, it might be that we're able to find that universal approach to make sure that all students and teachers have the adequate access that they need to support this learning. And I suppose with that, the devices as much as the training and education. Yes, because I imagine that it's a very steep learning curve for some teachers and other teachers. It's like, oh, we've been doing this for years and they just slot right in. That's right. Um, yeah. And there's not, and, and the other thing that really stood out to me in talking to teachers recently as well has been that that lack of universal approach. You know, it's uh, each teacher is almost I don't want to say reinventing the wheel, but each teacher is approaching it quite independently. You know, whether that's at a school level or just at their own classroom level, I'm not seeing a consistent 
you know, this is what everyone will do. Um, now, the, the, the downside to that is the time and energy that every teacher is now having to invest in terms of getting their classroom up and running. It's, that's a lot to, on top of a normal school term, you know, that is a lot. The, the flip side of that is it does mean that each teacher is able to adapt to what they're doing to best suit their class. Yeah, you know, there is no one size fits all when it comes to how students learn. So the fact that teachers are looking at how it works in their classroom is a good thing. Um, mm. My experience is I think it would be great to see something in the middle just to relieve the time pressures for them. I can see there's going to be a time for a lot of research around this because the other side of the, of the, of the or the flip side of the coin is throwing too much in the mix so actually, I, I know with a lot of teachers that I meet when I go into schools that some of them just love this stuff and they want to throw everything in there by the kitchen sink. They're going to, you know, get the kids doing this and get the kids doing that. And, and really, um, we don't know how, effect that, how effective those bells and whistles are really going to be and where the kids just want um, something simpler. So you can go all all out and and create all these you know and i want to talk to you about the augmented reality idea but we can go all out with all this technology but we don't know how effective that's really going to be um in the end as to children's ability to, to learn do we do you see that sometimes that there's an over enthusiasm to <laughs> to yes. use everything and try everything oh definitely that was definitely maybe me you know 10 years ago like oh, want to do it all but I think yeah definitely and I think it'll be so interesting in the coming years to look back and assess and review the effectiveness of these strategies but also to draw upon the knowledge that um, existing structures have such as your school for isolated children who have been running these setups for decades you know looking at what research says around that as an effective model um, but yes yeah, certainly my advice is always you know keep it simple start small you're always better off doing one strategy well rather than trying to do absolutely everything that's available yeah so um uh what's my next question going to be then um okay what are some great ideas for parents to make all of this fun so what i'm hearing from parents on my page is because of the nature of my of my job is that they're overwhelmed and in some cases, the, the technology is demonised. It's, it's a problem for them rather than something that is a tool or something that is something fabulous in their lives. So if you're looking at it from that, that aspect, and I, and I can tell from, you know, the books um, that, that you've written, and we can talk about those in a minute, that you want parents to feel comfortable with, with all this stuff. So what kinds of things can parents do perhaps with children to help use the technology in a harmonizing sort of way have you got any ideas of games or applications that might actually help parents to understand a little bit more how their kids are using this i think the first thing for uh, for the parents to do in that case would be to to identify what their kids are interested in when it comes not just to technology but just you know in in life and i'm you know the, if I, sorry, if I phrase that slightly differently, I think, I think tapping into the existing interests and then using technology to explore those interests is always yeah. the more effective way of approaching it. 
Mm. So, you know, as an example, of course, you know, your, your community sport groups and stuff are, are currently wound down, of course. So, you know, is there a way that technology can still facilitate the interest that kid might have in, you know, in soccer or tennis or, or football, you know, whether it's a, you know, a FIFA PlayStation game or, you know, accessing videos to still practice at home, you know, whatever it might be, creating their own videos about their family game of indoor soccer or something. I think identifying that interest and then finding an app or a, or a platform that will help fuel that interest. So that way we're, we're using the technology as a tool to foster um, some sort of connection between the family. So, you know, a project that they can work on together mm. as opposed to the kid off over here doing something, you know, the parents off here, we're all, you know, everyone's very busy. That, that's, that's how things are right now. But I think when the technology has a purpose, it, it can add a lot of value to our yeah. lives as opposed to taking away from our quality time together. Yeah, what I, one of the questions I get a lot from parents is their lack of resources. So knowing where to go to get interesting things to do with their kids, because often they have a very narrow viewpoint of what potentially they can do. Their child might be playing a game that they can't stand. And the last thing they want to do is get involved because it's just encouraging them <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. And I see that attitude a lot. And it there needs to be more information for parents on positive uses of technology and resources. So I often recommend um, parents go to Common Sense Media because they've got lists of particular things. So if your child's into dinosaurs, they'll have a whole list of potential interesting things to do with, with dinosaurs, whether it's videos of them or games or books or, or movies or whatever it is. Um, but that lack of resources is difficult for parents. And um, Teachers have an enormous capacity to share that stuff, but it's not their responsibility really to do that with parents. So do you see the, the same thing from your perspective, that there's a, there's a lack of positive resources for parents to find things and there's so, or, or there's so much out there they don't know where to start? Agree. There's so much noise. There's, there's so much to filter through. And I think having said that, you know, common sense media is absolutely fantastic resource to direct parents to and there are a number of Facebook pages I follow um, focusing more around STEM and STEAM activities which you know integrate the technology as well and um, my advice to parents would be if they can find just one or two of mm. these accounts you know common sense media being one of them start small and, and focus on those and then by finding a few people that they can rely on who can share consistent, reliable content, um, it can be a really good starting point. But I completely agree with you. It, it can be completely overwhelming and particularly when it's within a space that they're not familiar with and yeah. they're hearing these house parties and these TikToks and these things that they've never <laughs> grown up with themselves and then trying yeah. to channel all of that into a safe, creative family project can be really quite daunting. I think TikTok is probably one of the very few applications where we're seeing that happen. Strangely enough, even though all the controversy there is around TikTok, um, that I've seen more interaction from parents and kids on TikTok than almost any other app, including YouTube. It just seems to be a thing at the moment. It is. It's really having yeah. a moment, isn't it? <laughs> I know. 
Um, and when you compare it to other things that we used to do with kids before all of this stuff happened, if a child brought home a project or they were working on some something at home, um, a parent could quite easily um, help perhaps help that child or be involved in some way and understand that. And I think the problem with with um, technology is that parents feel overwhelmed and they just don't feel confident with it. I completely agree. I think it all comes back to that confidence and I see that with teachers as well because, uh, you know, keeping in mind, you know, the average teacher is 42 years old so they haven't generally grown up with technology in the same way as the children, the students' generation. And I think that lack of confidence can really hold both parents and teachers back from giving things a go whereas once yeah. they get once they get into it and they they get that familiarity and that confidence you know you take facebook as a great example um you know we can see so many more positive results yeah i wonder what's that what that is actually going to do to the teaching profession because i know myself when i go into schools there are lots of teachers in there who will quite proudly say to me i know nothing about technology nothing and I don't want to know anything about it. And now they've been forced into this sort of situation where most likely they do have to, to do something with technology. And it must be incredibly frustrating and, and probably quite um, upsetting for a lot of them that thought that they could continue teaching without having to know that much. Um, they like the hands-on stuff. They like the face-to-face -face stuff. So have, what are you seeing along those lines? Are there some teachers that you think probably won't last the distance they might actually drop out because of this oh look, it's poten potentially i mean i've i've over the years you know i've seen teachers in tears over technology you know when ipads were brought into their classroom um, i've seen teachers retire early because they haven't wanted to participate in that learning curve um, there's mm. certainly a resistance and i think i mean i think a lot of it comes down to to leadership you know at a school level or at a you know, at a government level in, in terms of how those teachers are supported through the change. Mm. I don't think any one of us, when, you know, change is just dumped on us and you're, you're just left there on your own to navigate it, it's mm. understandable that you're going to feel quite distressed and overwhelmed versus when um, structures and procedures can be put in place to, to guide you through it. Um, we see, for instance, I um, spent a year with a school. We were bringing in the, the new digital technologies curriculum. And mm. instead of those teachers being told, off you go, deliver this curriculum, I taught their classes for a year. So the, the teacher was there. It wasn't their dot time. It was still their class time. But I came in as the specialist and delivered the lesson while that teacher watched and participated. And then we met yeah. afterwards and we debriefed. And what mm. it meant was the following year when it was their turn to do it on their own, we didn't have any of the anxiety that you might have expected had mm. that been how they started from the start. So I think on the whole, teachers are prepared to be innovative and they're prepared to move with the times and they recognise the need for that. Yeah. But they need, they need the adequate support and training and professional and training. development as well. It's, it's not, yeah. you think of any other industry, you know, it would be the same. Yeah, it, it looks to me as if um, one of the things that might happen is there's going to be a greater emphasis on distance learning in teacher training. There has to be because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. And I hope so. 
Yeah, that yeah. would help them a lot. So, Kim, um, you've got some fabulous books. Have you got some with you? I want a bit of show and, show and tell. <laughs> and I want to find out a bit more about those because they look amazing. Tell oh, us about you. how you came up with um, the books and yeah. how you designed them and what they do. Yeah, well, I think I've got one within arm's reach, so I can, <laughs> I can hold that one up. Um, that's the, the last printed one. I'll come back to that. Um, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was back in 2017. Uh, the idea came about because, um, a bit like yourself, Leone, back then I was, I was doing a few parent seminars and workshops around cyber safety, as well mm -hmm. as working in the schools. And I wanted to come up with another resource that parents could use. Uh, if we, we tap into what we were saying earlier about positive resources, you know, there's yeah. a lot out there about what not to do and, you know. Yeah. And I thought it would be really wonderful to have a resource that could bring the parent and the kid together to learn about yeah. technology in the, at the same time, in the same way, because we, we spoke about parents not having necessarily the experience or the confidence and although kids may appear confident, you know, they know what buttons to press, they, you know, as you know, they're completely naive when it comes to the actual risks that exist online. And so from all of that came the idea of the Tweeting Galah, which is, um, is a cheeky little bird from Esperance and he uses phones and he has Facebook, you know, just like kids today. Um, mm -hmm. But using those characters, the Australian animals, to actually tell the stories of what it's like to grow up in this new world and a little bit like Aesop's fables is how I like to describe it to people. Yeah. So these animals have, um, you know, each short story has its own moral around, you know, not talking to strangers or thinking before you post. And the idea is that kids can relate to these stories because it's exactly what they're going through as well. But yeah. For the, for the parent and the teacher, the story provides that really important conversation starter, that starting yeah. point for a topic or for a unit at school. And each story ends with um, short reflection questions as well to get, get parents and teachers thinking about the, the things they need to think about as well Yeah, with their kid. So you've got a, you've got a new one out. Yes. So, yeah, well, so, so pre-COVID, um, The Little Possum Who Looked Up was my new book. This one's yeah. only a couple months old. The illustrations are gorgeous. Just hold it up a little it's higher. Fine, aren't they? Um, this is gorgeous, yeah. John Field. So he's amazing. He does all of this by hand. Oh, I just, I don't know. It's one of my favourite ones. This is the dad's ruined dinner. So he's ordering some <laughs> Uber Eats. IPad. Yes. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he does all the illustrations by hand and then hand paints them. And then I, we scan them into the computer and I, I piece it all together with the words. So yeah. he's incredibly talented. Um, so yeah, a few few months ago, this was all about screen time. So the idea yeah. that as a family, we need to make sure that we're balancing our screen time and spending some time together that doesn't involve screens. Yeah, which I think is just as relevant right now as it was. Three yeah, months and ago. people are finding that really difficult, aren't they, to yeah. find the 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 time away from the screens? And even myself, I'm finding I'm getting headaches most days now because so much is done online versus in person yeah. but yeah. um yeah so a couple of weeks ago with all this talk of schools moving online I thought you know these books and these characters could play a role in making that transition a little easier for teachers and students so I've put together just just a one short story ebook called the zooming owl 
and in <laughs> and in um, in this story, um, Gabo and all his little furry feathery friends they they've just started online learning themselves because uh, a termite attack was you know has destroyed their school for the moment, and so yeah. their teacher Wing Commander Gray has got them all on this online video conferencing software, and he's trying to tap into this owl who's zooming around space at the moment as an astronaut. Um, to come in as a guest speaker. And <laughs> okay. As you He's do. About to, <laughs> about to zoom bomb. <laughs> That's right. Um, or was it a bat, a bat that's zoom bombing us? Oh, no, maybe. <laughs> that can be the sequel. All <laughs> oh, right. Um, but unfortunately for the astronaut, Al, they have some te- common technical issues and they can't get in. And so mm. as a class, they need to work together to go through some of the basic troubleshooting techniques to try and get that connection up and running and so for a teacher parent student it's a way of identifying look if this happens when we're doing it in term two Mm. which unfortunately we know it's likely at one point or another there will be some sort of tech glitch here's some basic things that we can all remember to do and it also focuses through some of the characters some of the behaviors you know as a student we should do, you know, mute our, you know, mute ourselves when the teacher's yes, talking. Yes, everybody's learned how to do that now. <laughs> what not to do, you know, chatting to each other privately and things. So it also provides a framework for the teacher to um, set up their own expectations for their virtual classroom as well. Yeah. Oh, that looks fantastic. Yes, I've got. I'm going to put a picture of that up on the screen as you're telling us about it, because the again the illustration on the front cover is absolutely beautiful. Thank you. And, and, and well I, done on the, on the title. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that was a group effort. We all were brainstorming <laughs> for a little while for that one. Um, but I and I should I have to say it was such a mammoth effort from every, you know um, John in particular. We we from having the idea to having the book out there published, it was about six days. So Whoa. And is that yeah. available in, in regular bookshops, in bricks and mortar bookshops or just online? Just online for the moment, just because okay. of the you know the, the urgency of going back to school. I've only got it in ebook. Um, if the demand's there, I'd love to get it printed as well. Yeah, no, it's gorgeous. One day when we go out to our bricks and, and mortar Ah, bookshops again. That's right. (laughs) Hopefully soon. (laughs) Yeah, I will put a link up. It's available from your website, correct? I'll put a link up for that. Wonderful, Um, thanks. It's just been fantastic talking to you, Kim, and um, certainly lots of aspects there that I think parents really need to be aware of, of how um, teachers and schools are dealing with this because it's hard to see from, from their side of things. Is there anything that you would like to perhaps say to to teaching staff, if they're because I know I've got a few listeners here from of, of teachers and schools, to help them through this particular time that we're going through and, and all the learning they're having to do. Yeah, just just to hang in there. <laughs> they're yeah. doing um, such a fantastic job. I know it, it, it is unprecedented, you know, stressful, challenging times. Um, to know that they're all, you know, we're all in it together um, as teachers, but as support for teachers as well and there's so much respect for teachers right now I think you know if one thing can come from all of this I really do hope it's a it's a greater appreciation for what teachers do every day um, you know day in day out and that there's a lot of support out there for them and that this will only get easier over the coming weeks as more 
resources come in, hopefully more you know, government support or, you know, at a policy level support. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, by working together, as they already do, um, we can get through all of this. Fantastic. Yeah. Kim, where can people find out more about what you do? Um, and um, maybe they can contact you also for some great ideas. I'd, like, are you available for teachers to, to talk to and consult with? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, at the moment I'm offering um, myself in collaboration with a couple of other teachers. We're offering some 15-minute Zoom sessions where our teachers can book in and just, just like we're chatting now, um, Leonie, just toss around some ideas or get some tech questions answered that they might not have anyone else in their network who can answer yep. them. So that, that's just a free thing they can book online. Uh, my website's a good starting point, which is just... Uh, www.kimmaslin.com. Uh, yep. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. So people can follow me there also if they like. Yeah. It'd be great, Fantastic. To, yeah. <laughs> It'd be great to yeah chat and answer any questions that teachers have. Brilliant. I think I'll be using that service. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Thank you, Kim Maslin. It's been great talking to you and um, I'll be very excited to share your, your books and your services and all that kind of stuff. And you've, you've um, outlined some really interesting things there about uh, distance learning online and all the challenges that I think all of us are facing. Thanks so much, Leonie. And I love all the resources you're putting out at the moment as well. It's so helpful for parents and teachers. So relevant and topical. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for having me Great on. to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks.